great to see so many people here, standing room only. That's a testimony, I think, to the uh, uh, interest of today's topic, today's speaker. So I'm delighted to welcome Vincent Vincent-Nee uh, uh, here this afternoon. Uh, Vincent started his career helping Western broadcasters to work in China. He then uh, moved to Taijing, I probably got that wrong. Taijing? Taijing. Taijing? Yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, my pronunciation's terrible, I apologise. Um, uh, magazine as a journalist. Uh, he then came here to Oxford uh, to study at the Oxford Internet Institute, which is where we first met, and he, uh, he met a number of us at the Reuters Institute at that page, and, uh, that stage, and since then he's been working uh, at the BBC, for the BBC uh, Chinese service. Uh, so he's got a real uh, breadth of experience. Um, uh, as ever, the presentation will be on the record, but the discussion, the question and answers afterwards will be off the record, so if we could uh, respect that. But um, I know it's going to be a fascinating talk. Vincent, thank you very much. You're very welcome. Great. Thank you very much, Richard. Um, thank you, for James and Richard, for inviting me. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to talk about media in China. Um, I mean, this is obviously a topic that has been you know, widely covered by Western media. You have seen various reports about what's going on you know, after uh, the new president came to power in 2012, and you have you know, heard a lot of commentators talking about the future of Chinese media as well as the Chinese society. Now, let's start this talk um, by showing something obvious about Chinese media. Um, <coughs> If you talk about press freedom, obviously this is from Freedom House. China is not ranked very highly. Um, and if you also uh, listen to activists from uh, Reporters Without <coughs> Borders, this sort of organizations, uh, Chinese uh, media freedom is actually quite, uh, the ranking is actually quite low. So these are very obvious things. And also on Western media, you also see reports about you know, because of the censorship, some of the editors or journalists, you know, resisted such dictator orders and then they resigned. Um, these are these seem to be very kind of standard way of looking at Chinese media. So the question is, what Chinese media is really like? You know, if you read from different reports uh, in recent years, you probably will have this sort of. Uh, conclusion that Chinese media is, you know, the media landscape is very bleak, there is no dynamism, and also there is little innovation. But actually, I think the reality is far more complicated. And I think Chinese media today is not only about political influence, but also about capital as well as technology. Now, political influence is something that we usually look at, especially if you read from English language Western media. But technology as well as capital are something that we don't really look into that carefully. And I think these two bits are more interesting uh, in today's Chinese media landscape. For example, this person is called Jack Ma. You probably have heard of him. He's a very high-flying, you know, speaks perfect English and always appears on uh, forums like Davos World Economic Forum talking about how his business, Alibaba, is transforming the Chinese society. And more recently, he actually met with President Donald Trump and promised to create one million jobs for Americans. And obviously, this is something that President Trump will be very happy to hear. Um, not only in America, 
and in uh, e-commerce business, Jack Ma has actually been investing quite aggressively into media. So those who become rich following China's economic boom and through their political connections have also started to influence media. For example, we have seen uh, two years ago, Jack Ma invested 266 million US dollars into the Hong Kong's uh, South China Morning Post. Um, Jack Ma is basically the boss of South China Morning Post. And there are, of course, a lot of questions being raised after this deal. But you also see Jack Ma invested um, 586 million US dollars into China's biggest social media platform called Weibo. And um, he was reportedly having a negotiation with actually my former employer, Caixin Media. So you can see Chinese tycoons, they are also starting to influence media through their rich pocket. And I have to say, this is not just initiative uh, from the Chinese business community. And in fact, the president of China, President Xi Jinping, has himself to talk about something very similar. This is what he had to say in 2014. He said, we must forge a batch of new mainstream enterprises that are diverse in form which advance, with advanced methods uh, which, which are competitive and build a number of new media groups that have strong force, propaganda, strengths, credibility, and influence. He talked about credibility and influence, and they shape a three-dimensional diverse and modern communication system with converged development. <coughs> to be frank, I don't quite understand what the last bit means, but certainly my takeaway is President Xi Jinping would envision Chinese media being more enterprising, and have more credibility as well as influence. Now, this influence is not just within China, but also outside of China. So nowadays, <laughs> you have seen, for example, China Central Television, uh, which recently changed its name called the China Global Television News Network, CGTN, has two million followers on Twitter and uh, 44.3 million fans as of last night on Facebook. And in comparison, CNN has about uh, 26.3 million fans on Facebook. So they are pushing very aggressively on the brand of Chinese news. Now, this is not just um, some kind of standard party lines. Chinese investors also know this kind of languages very well. Shortly after President Xi Jinping gave this talk in 2014, we saw media stock prices soared in China and rumors started to circulate on the Chinese cyberspace suggest that the government is actually going to invest to give new rounds of funding to state-owned media and uh, encourage them to be uh, more enterprising and make more enterprising decisions. And in the weeks after following, in the weeks that followed President Xi's speech, media organizations such as China Central Television, now CGTN, redesigned their social media offering, uh, and you know, just redesigned their social media um, strategies and extended their actions, uh, extended their operations both outside China and inside China. Now, this is from President Xi Jinping. So what does he actually mean, you know, more enterprising and with more credibility and influence? What does that actually translate into media in China? 
So here's the case study of this Shanghai-based uh, website called Pai or the paper in English. It is a Shanghai-based news website, which is a bit similar to Huffington Post, uh, which targets uh, younger urban and educated readers. Um, it was founded around the same time as President Xi Jinping delivered his speech on media in 2014. And as you can see from its top story, which was published uh, last night, uh, President Xi was visiting a very ordinary rural family, and the title writes, Who does Xi Jinping most care about? Now you have the answer. And what's interesting about this case is that Pai or the paper, is a state-owned news website that falls under the supervision of the Shanghai government. But the government is not the only source <coughs> of funding for this enterprise. According to People's Daily, which is another party-owned uh, official newspaper, investors in Pai include the Fortune Global 500 property developer Shanghai Greenland Group, and uh, official Shanghai United Media Group. Now you might ask, then, is this just a pure propaganda with sleeker presentation? Not necessarily. Um, a year ago, Pompei broke a very high-profile uh, scandal, uh, the story about a nationwide vaccine scandal. Um, and that report actually got all the Chinese media talking. And even the premier, uh, when uh, premier uh, Li Keqiang uh, stood out and said something about this vaccine scandal, and he ordered his officials to hold a thorough investigation. And even before Pai was launched in 2014, it exposed the health problems of workers at a mercury mine in Guizhou province. And two weeks after the publication of that investigation piece, Pai's two pieces prompted the courts to take action. Now, journalists in Pai told me that they do sometimes face pressure from propaganda departments, but probably because the bureaucracy always works slower than the actual publishing. Sometimes when censors start to take action, stories have already been published. And many journalists there I talk to tell me that overall they like working in Pompei. They have a relatively decent salary, which is quite important in China these days. And their bosses also encourage them to come up with new ideas of new interesting products. They call it a real thing to work in Pompei. Now you have strong official backing, sufficient funding, as well as a group of ambitious uh, reporters. Does that make money then? That's the ultimate question for enterprise. We don't know how much exactly they make, but certainly what we know is their advertisements do sell. There are a lot of companies going to Pompeii to ask for advertisement uh, spaces. And two years later, after its launch, Pompeii received a new round of funding at the end of last year. As you can see from this newspaper, Oriental Morning Post, uh, the um, um, parent company of Pompeii um, as of last year, late last year, December 29th, 2016, raised about 70 million pounds from six new investors. And these six new investments, uh, investors will also get hold of 16.8% of um, the shares. Now, it's important to know that these six investors do not include the likes of Rupert Murdoch or other influential international businessmen. And in fact, it is nearly impossible in China for, you know, as an international businessman, to invest into its media. Um, 
And these six investors, are in fact, all state-owned, and they are all based in Shanghai. They include a traditional retailer, a hotel um, operator, as well as a trading company. Now, this means that they provide the media company sufficient funding and not allow it to go too far in content because they have the ultimate say on their budget. So the question is, what does that tell us about Chinese media today and the Chinese government's attempt to control media? I think certainly my takeaway are two things. One is propaganda these days in China is not managed just by dictator orders, but also by attractive, interesting products. Secondly, while stringent controls and censorship may still be the first line of defense against dissent, technology has also given the authorities new levers to operate. But to some extent, state and private funding model is nothing new. In fact, beginning in the 1990s, most Chinese media outlets were ordered to become more commercial, in other words, to sell more advertisement and more self-sustainable. Confrontation between editors and propaganda departments and also governments do happen from time to time. But most of the times, they <coughs> negotiate and sometimes they even collaborate on certain issues for mutual benefit. Let's look at these two <coughs> men. You all know these two men. On the left, it's, his name is Zhou Yongkang, who used to be China's most powerful security tower. And on the right, his name is Bo Xilai. He used to be China's flamboyant party chief in Chongqing. Now, both men are now in jail. Just to recap what happened uh, to the two men, Bo Xilai's scandal happened around 2012. And immediately after this scandal, rumors started to spread on the Chinese cybersphere that his long-term ally, Zhou Yongkang, might also be implicated. In other words, Zhou Yongkang might also be investigated and publicly disgraced. Now, here's a question for you. If you are working journalists in China, you have heard these credible reports that Zhou, uh, Bo Xilai's ally is also in trouble. How would you handle this case? How would you report on this case? And you have to report on this. Your editors tell you, you know, we should report on this case but we have to tread it very carefully. How carefully would you handle this? Flummox. Very carefully. Very carefully. <laughs> Certainly very carefully. And this very carefully bit is the most interesting bit. Now, in reporting this saga, explicit mention of Zhou Yongkang's name, these three Chinese characters, was prohibited, was not allowed. But investigative stories on seemingly related matters were allowed to be published. For example, when reporting on the arrest of Zhou Yongkang's business son, businessman's son, uh, Zhou Bing, Chinese media dropped hints about the real story. They referred Zhou Yongkang to Zhou Bing's father, or the big tiger, which is now a term generally uh, associated with high-profile corrupt officials. And in fact, for some time before the official announcement of Zhou Yongkang's downfall, Chinese journalists had been working on investigative reports into Zhou Yongkang's business empire. 
When the authorities finally released the news of his downfall in 2014, many outlets were ready to publish detailed and very, very detailed investigations. For example, one news magazine published, immediately published a 60,000-word dossier into Zhou Yunkang's business and political empire. And as a result, its website traffic um, reportedly surged tenfold after the news initially broke. <laughs> And the coverage of Zhou Yunkang had also won this uh, news magazine some very prestigious and um, well-known high-profile media awards. I think what strikes me when researching to this topic is that when looking from outside, media in China is always just under the control of the party. But in fact, the relationship between the party, the government, and media practitioners, uh, editors, and journalists is actually far more nuanced and complicated. Despite political restrictions and the censorship, Chinese government is also trying to find new ways to get their messages across. President Xi Jinping knows that repression is not the only way of control. Giving journalists some space to negotiate and even profit would probably be more productive. Today's media control in China does not aim to make it sound more official, but to make sure it produces good products and to win the hearts and minds of ordinary readers. But the question is, how long is this practice going to sustain? Um, so this is my presentation, and this is my takeaway from um, researching into this topic. And thank you very much for listening, and um, I'm happy to answer any questions. Great. Thank you.